This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Today's episode is brought to you by Discover Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico is home to a thriving culinary scene based on products and traditions from the native Taino, African, and Spanish peoples that have influenced it. When you go, there are a host of restaurants, bars, breweries, distilleries, farms, and coffee houses to dig into, from five-star experiences to local favorites. No passport required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to Savor, a production of iHeartRadio and Stuff Media. I'm Annie Reese. And I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. And today we're talking about paprika. Which is so fun to say. Paprika! And oh. they say it differently in Europe, I think. In Britain. Paprika? Paprika. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there we go. Yeah. <laughs> but it's fun to say either way. I it recommend is. that wherever you are, you just say the word like a solid four times in a row out loud. Okay. I think people might look at you askew, but yes, <laughs> yes, I, I am on board. <laughs> I hear many times listeners write in that people look at them funny when they, they laugh aloud suddenly, so this will just roll up the ante. <laughs> we're, we're, we're here for you. We're trying to, to grow your um, public mm-hmm. weirdness profile. Yeah, we're trying to promote your brands. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, yeah, paprika, sometimes referred to as red gold. Mm, I did go on a, we have this pretty big farmer's market in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. And um, in college, I had no vehicle, and it was kind of far away. So it was like when I finally made it out there, I went wild. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. And I bought, I, I just remember, I didn't know there were so many different types of paprika. And I bought Way too much for one person to use in a lifetime. I think I still have some. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, because they, they come in those tubs. Sure. I th- for some reason, I thought I'd never had real paprika. I don't know. College Annie, I'm not sure what she was 
Thank you. She was excited about paprika. That's, she was. <laughs> that's understandable. It, it, it adds a lovely color to dishes. Mm-hmm. Um, it's one of the foods that I shouldn't eat. I know. We keep doing these. Yeah. But, you know, in fairness, this was your – you suggested this one. <laughs> I certainly did. Um, that's, that's, that's okay. I mean, as it turns out, it is really fascinating. I'm so glad that we're doing this topic because researching it was so fun. Um, it, unexpectedly fun. I was just like, hmm, paprika, that's going to be – and then I was like, ooh. So, yeah. yeah. But this brings us to our question. Paprika. What is it? Well, paprika is a spice made from dried ground peppers in the capsicum anum species. Um, That's the one that includes everything from, like, big sweet bell peppers to long spicy chilies. Different areas have different pepper preferences and traditions for making it, but basically what you're talking about when you're talking about making paprika is uh, taking fresh peppers that you've grown until they're ripe and red, slow drying or slow toasting them, sometimes over a smoky wood fire, and then grinding them to dust. The result will be a vibrant scarlet to orangish powder with a sweet, fruity, vegetative, bitter, savory, pungent, and spicy flavors in differing combinations depending on, you know, the peppers that you use. And sometimes smoke or wood flavors in there from the drying process, too. Yeah. hmm And, yeah, lots of different peppers can go into this. Uh, specific areas that grow it have developed their own specific varietals of peppers over, over centuries. So Right. And in some European countries, the name paprika refers to the the bell pepper itself, sometimes with the color in front. Oh, like a red paprika. Like green, green paprika. paprika. Yeah, exactly. Sure. Huh. Also, it's the name of an app. I think it's a recipe holding app and <laughs> an animated movie. Because as we said, paprika is so fun to say. It is a popular name for a lot of things. There's a lot of stuff called paprika out yeah, there that yeah. is not the thing that we are talking about. <laughs> Yeah, as as we record this, um, uh, I, I think a few of us in the office are going to go to a showing of Paprika this very evening at a local Atlanta cinema. It's a, it's it's not like an animated film, like like, yeah, like up or something, like Shrek. Yeah, no, it's 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 a Satoshi Kon film. It's pretty intense. Anyway, I feel like there's something to be said about the first animated movies we each thought of. And I'm going to ponder about it later. I thought of Dumbo first, but then I felt like that was a weird, old, like, way too racist reference to make. I was like, let's update that just a little bit. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. Landed on track. Interesting. Interesting update. I like it. I like it. (laughs) Um, But like we were saying, there are a lot of types. Oh, yeah. There is a world of paprika out there. The two main categories are Spanish and Hungarian. In the Hungarian category, you've got eight Types ranging from mild to wild. <laughs> is that is that you? Did you come up with I, that, or is that like is there wild paprika? Oh, though there is. Oh I, my gosh. I don't think there is. No, um, <sighs> there's. Or I mean, there there might be floating around there somewhere. You know, pollination happens. Stuff yes. gets weird. But um, but yeah, no, I just wrote that and couldn't help saying it out loud afterwards. So you're sorry and or welcome. <laughs> you're sorry. you're sorry. <laughs> I like mm, that. <laughs> that was a Freudian slip. Okay. Okay, we're working on that. Anyway, yes, so uh, the most common category of Hungarian paprika and the easiest to find outside of Hungary is a sweet and heady variety called Edesnemesh, I think. I'm, I don't speak Hungarian. I'm about to say a lot of Hungarian words. I hope that I'm not completely butchering them. I tried. Yes. Forvo.com. <laughs> it should be a sponsor. They really should be. Heck, 
And yeah, uh, Hungarian paprika in general is a key ingredient in dishes like goulash and paprikash, which just means paprika in Hungarian, so perhaps obviously. Perhaps. Yes. Do you want to go through all eight grades? You know it. (laughs) All right. Ooh, Hungarian. I'm personally unfamiliar with these, but I did cross-check a few across a few sources, and I think that this list is pretty accurate. So, all right, here we go. Uh, Ranging from mild uh, up to hot and pungent, we've got kulolegesh, meaning special. It's very mild and a very vibrant red. Then chipushmentesh chemegesh, yes, uh, which means something like uh, like mild delicacy. Then chemegesh, which is a little bit less delicate. Roja, which is a pale rosy red. Chipush chemegesh, which is more pungent, even less delicate, yeah. Um, the aforementioned idesh demesh, meaning noble sweet. Oh. Ilidesh, which according to Google Translate literally means oblivion. Oh. <gasps> Um, it's a semi-sweet variety. Ooh, I like it. I know, right? And air rouge, meaning strong, which is the uh, hottest variety and kind of a tannish orange in color. So there could be like a paprika version of the Spice Girls. Ooh, hungry. Why? Why is this not a thing yet? Is it a thing? Ooh. Write in and tell us. Please do. Oh, heck. Oh, I'm not sure. Oh, I wonder which one I would be. I would hope I was Oblivion, but I feel like <laughs> I would not be. <laughs> I'd be like the mild one. <laughs> yeah, I love that. I mean, it sounds like the Sailor Saturn of paprika. Anyway, um, okay, here we go. Yeah, so that's that's the Hungarian uh, types or the, the Hungarian range. In the Spanish category, there are three basic types, dulce, agrodulce, and picante, uh, sweet, bittersweet, and hot. The word in Spanish is pimenton. And, yeah, there, there are two areas in Spain that are particularly famous for producing pimenton, La Vera and Murcia. Um, pimenton de La Vera and de Murcia are controlled product names, sort of like, sort of like champagne. Mm-hmm. The Murcia types tend to be sweet, and La Vera types are smoky. Pimenton is a key ingredient in stuff like chorizo and paella. Mm. And paella is one of my favorite foods that I don't eat anymore, which is very sad. Oh, <laughs> Oh, no. Any any dish with good crispy rice on the bottom. It's okay. I've, I've like, replaced paella with bibimbap, so. That's a good, yeah. It's not, it's not the same thing, you guys, but. No. <sighs> no. I, um, <laughs> the other day, it, it was St. Patrick's Day, and. Um, you had the classic paella first? I had Saint the pa- classic <laughs> paella. No, Ramsey, Ramsey and I um, are on a wing quest. There's a wing club. <laughs> And he went out and bought these uh, chicken wings from a place that's kind of far away uh-huh. on Buford Highway. And it's um, a Vietnamese restaurant. Cool. So it came with a ton of rice. Ooh, okay. And um, I'd had a, a few Guinnesses. was a little tipsy. Mm-hmm. And I tried to make fried rice, but I forgot that I was cooking. <laughs> I got oh, distracted. Oh, okay. But uh-huh. it actually turned out really well because it had the crispy oh, rice the on crispy the bottom. bottom. Uh, it wasn't what I was going for at all, but... But it was still delicious? Yeah. Well, pretty hey. good. And it lasted for like four days. It was a lot of rice. Oh, man. Well, you didn't you didn't burn down your house. Yes. And you got to eat delicious rice. So win all around. Yes. <laughs> it was a win all around. <laughs> anyway, um, one thing about paprika, before I, we had done this episode, if you'd asked me what paprika was, I'm not sure I would have known. 
but you can make your own. You can, yeah. Um, I mean, clearly places that produce it, especially in like commercial quantity, have complex traditional methods for making it. But the but the basic process is pretty simple. You grow some peppers until they're ripe. You string them up to dry in a hot, dry, shaded place for a couple weeks and or dry them out in like a very low oven or over a very low fire. I strongly suspect that part of what goes on during these drying processes, uh, which can take like hours to weeks, is some kind of mild fermentation. What? Bacteria poop. Anyway. Uh, yeah, when the peppers are nice and shriveled and dry, you uh, crush them or chop them, remove as much of the seeds and ribs as you want to control for heat and bitterness, and then, yeah, grind them into a nice seed and powder. I didn't know what paprika was until I isolated it as a food that disturbed my stomach region. And then I looked it up and I was like, oh. That makes sense. Yeah. That was a very... <laughs> I think that uh, every now and then our phrasing is just so interestingly robotic (laughs) until I isolated it until I knew it was something that disturbed my human stomach region. (laughs) I love it. I love it. (laughs) We we are pod people, as we have discovered. It's true. Yes. Um, When when we talk about nutrition, again, it's one of those things that you're probably not eating enough to, like— yeah, yeah, you're you're probably not you're probably not eating enough that it's like a major part of your diet. Probably not. But but it does have a lot of vitamin C. The peppers and paprika have 6 to 9 times the amount of vitamin C of tomatoes by weight. Biochemist Albert Sangiorgi, who won a Nobel Peace Prize physiology or medicine in 1937 in part due to his work isolating vitamin C, used paprika as his source. Yeah. Yeah, pretty fascinating. Mm-hmm. It has a lot of vitamin A as well. 40% of your recommended daily value in one teaspoon. Yeah, it's our old pal uh, beta-carotene and other carotenoids. It's what gives paprika that red-orange color. And it's also, you know, the pigment in, like, carrots and in fresh yellow butter and cheeses and stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When it comes to numbers, most commercial paprika comes from Spain, Hungary, South America, and the United States. It's apparently the fourth most consumed spice in the world. I would not have pegged that. But... I'm kind of new to paprika, honestly. I think it was in college. That was like, oh, well, I can try this new spice. And it's everyone's been a key onto it forever. Um, Paprika is popular in Europe and especially, as you might have been picking up on, in Hungary, where there's a paprika museum, at least, at least two paprika festivals and a paprika brandy. The museum sounds amazing. If, If you like silly customer reviews of things, I recommend looking it up on TripAdvisor. There's at least one review in there that's like, I mean, it's great and stuff, but not everyone needs this much museum for a spice. <laughs> well. I was like, all right, that's fine, buddy. Um, <laughs> but yes, there, there's a there's a city in Hungary called Kalocha, and it has its paprika days in mid-September every year. And it sounds like this is part professional agricultural conference and part festival. Like there are exhibitions and games and sports, a parade, a harvest ball, a fisherman's soup cooking contest, a paprika queen is crowned, and there is the Paprika Cup, which is a chess tournament. Ah, it sounds so cool. So badly. Yeah. I got to win that kale queen thing first, oh. and then I'll go on and be paprika queen. Paprika queen. queen. Okay. All right. Yeah. Goals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You've got to— <laughs> One thing at a time. Right. I can't be both 
at the same time. I mean, that would be greedy. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> uh, and there is a folk character in Hungary sometimes called Paprika Yonchi. Um, you might translate that to like Johnny Pepper in English. Uh-huh. Um, I had a hard time tracking down hard data on this guy because it's all in like whimsically flash animated websites in Hungarian. <laughs> um, but I take it that that Paprika Yonchi is uh, this is a classic part of, of folk puppet shows, like stretching back to medieval times, um, the cultural equivalent of like Punch and Judy type stuff. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, he's got a long nose that's bright red like a paprika pepper, and he wields a wooden spoon or sometimes a pancake pan that he uses to, like, defend the common people. He's, like, clever and tricksy and overall good, like like a Robin Hood kind of figure, you know, but with less arrows and more, like, smacking people about with a wooden spoon. Wow. Yeah. No, I'm into it. Yeah. Uh, if anyone has any any tales or experiences or, like, common plot threads— Mm-hmm. Having to do with this guy, write in, let us know. Please. Oh, if there's any video, couldn't find any video. <sighs> back back to the actual spice, though. <laughs> important, important information. <laughs> Apart from paprika's flavor, it's also used to add color to dishes. Oh, sure. Like color theory. Mm-hmm. We love it. We love it. Um, it's used in stews, soups, goulash, all kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Uh, also super common is a rubber marinade for various proteins. Mm-hmm. I like it on okra. I'm sure it's delicious. <laughs> I'm sorry it is. <laughs> I can't hide it from you. Um, <laughs> it's okay. Don't lie to me, Annie. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't get away with it anyway. <laughs> and I found this quote from Hungarian-American author George Lang who once said, Paprika is to the Hungarian cuisine as wit is to its conversation. Not just a superficial garnish, but an integral element. Oh, I think it's. it sounds true. It does sound very, very true. And we have some history, some kind of surprising history as to how that happened. Yeah, we do. Uh, but first, we've got a quick break for a word from our sponsor. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for the eligible bachelor? Meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. 
find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Stephanie J. Block. And I'm Mary Lee Fairbanks. And we host Stages Podcast. Binge close to 100 episodes. Hear the inside stories from backstage and behind the scenes as we go beyond the resume and into the heart of creativity and what it really takes to be in the business of show business. Don't miss our chats with this season's Tony nominees. If you love theater and entertainment, you are going to love Stages Podcast. Subscribe to Stages Podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts and visit us at stagespodcast.net. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex and then he's very vulnerable so you can kill him easily to die for is available now listen for free on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts and we're back thank you sponsor yes thank you so before we get into this history bit one <laughs> thing of note is it it it's kind of confusing because some places, some sources, and some, like, actual places do call paprika the pepper paprika. Oh, oh right, right. They'll refer to the fruit, like the, the vegetable, the peppers, right. as just paprika. So so yes. there's not always a clear definition or, or a clear distinction in these historical materials about um, whether you're talking about the spice or mm-hmm. just, like, the vegetable. Yep. Fun for podcast researchers. Yay! Um, so, paprika, the pepper, most likely originated in Mexico, Central America, and the Antilles Islands. Indigenous people used um, paprika in their cooking, but also medicinally. When Christopher Columbus returned from the New World, he brought with him bell peppers, which were unknown to Europe at the time. Again, we talked about this in a recent episode we did. The name pepper was given to them because uh, the kind of pepper-like bite, which adds another layer of confusion 
to oh, research. E- yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, uh, multilinguistic etymology aside here, in, in Spanish, the word for black pepper is pimienta. From that, because of that bite, Columbus and his cohort called these new vegetables pimientos. It follows that the spice derived from the vegetables is pimenton. Yeah? Yes. It yes. follows with me. And all of these words, by the way, derive from the Latin for pigment. Oh. Yeah. They're very colorful. They are. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. At first, when Columbus brought these peppers back to Europe, um, they were mostly grown in monasteries. So the first people to dry these peppers out and create paprika were probably monks at the Uste Monastery in La Vera in Extremadura, Spain, who then passed the recipe to their brothers in La Ñora over in Mercia, Spain. What did European nobility do with these peppers, you ask? They used them for garden decor. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Of course they did. <laughs> no, they're very colorful, as we said. Yeah. Um, and trade transported these peppers to Turkey and from there to Hungary. This would have been sometime in the 1530s or 40s and was helped along by Bulgarians who were immigrating to Hungary away from the Turkish Empire. And maybe further helped along by Spanish Emperor Charles V, who retired from emperorhood in 1555 and went to live in the Uste Monastery. He liked their pimenton so much that he sent some to his sister, Queen Mary of Hungary. Hey. Yeah. Oh, also, uh, since we're talking about this transition from Spain to Hungary, I wanted to mention there's this book from the 1960s called Hungarian Paprika Through the Ages, and it includes this line, Paprika found its second and, at the same time, true home in Hungary. Tugs at the heartstrings. It does. The paprika heartstrings. (laughs) During the 16th century, Hungarian noble Margit Sechi kept what was called a Turkish pepper— or, uh, less politically correctly, a heathen pepper or Indian pepper in her garden. Uh, They were sometimes called Indian peppers around this time because this German professor of medicine writing about them had wrongly assumed that because the peppers had come to him from India via the Turkish spice route, they were native to India. Right. Yeah. And apparently, this lady's pepper garden was so popular and so valuable that after her death, her daughters entered a court battle for ownership of it that lasted 25 years. A quarter of a century. In the end, the Hungarian Supreme Court awarded them to the youngest daughter. Can you imagine? See, we're coming up with a lot of movie ideas here, like movie <laughs> miniseries. But you know those, like, law dramas? That yeah. Even though you know how it ends, you get sucked in, and they, like, have to get the votes, and they're talking <laughs> to everybody, and it's about this garden with peppers in it. Yeah. I mean, Uh, meanwhile, what happened to the peppers? (laughs) I just clutched my my chest. You clutched your pearls. Lauren, see, I'm already invested in it. They Come on, Hollywood. I don't know what. You're you're behind on these food dramas. Yeah, the paprika heartstrings are real. Mm Mm-hmm. And Hungary is where we get the name paprika in the 18th century, the diminutive form of the South Slavic pepar. From the Greek papyri, from the Latin piper. And all of these words, in contrast to the Spanish, which derived from, uh, from pigment, all of these words derive from the actual word for peppercorns, all the way back to the Sanskrit. Wow. 
the word spread and was pretty much universally adopted from there. The first usage of paprika came from an Hungarian accounting book in 1748. At first, Hungarians primarily used paprika for curing intermittent fever. Huh. Yeah. But the spice did catch on pretty quickly as a flavoring among the lower classes, uh, way before the word paprika was officially noted, actually. Um, and maybe because of its association with the highly prized black pepper? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, and the the character uh, Johnny Paprika might have evolved during this time as a result of, of higher classes, like, disparaging the lower classes for this use of what was considered this, like, negatively ethnic or negatively exotic food. Like, a rural dude might have been referred to as as Paprika Yonchi. Really? Yeah. Huh. I, I want to see. I want to know more about this Johnny Paprika. I'm I'm picturing like Johnny Quest meets Aquaman, <laughs> but there's like paprika <laughs> involved, and I'm sure it's nothing like that at all. I don't think so. No, <laughs> I think that's 100 percent what it's not. But, I know. You know I, yeah. The great thing about folk characters is that every generation can reimagine them. There should be a paprika-based superhero. I'm glad that you agree with me, Lauren. Yeah, no, and I think that he could, like, team up with maybe, like, Johnny Appleseed. Oh. Yeah, there's other there's other folk heroes. Like, uh, I think there's, I think Germany has the vague linguistic equivalent of, like, a Johnny Sausage, which was also kind of like a making fun of poor people thing to say. Oh. Yeah. We're on to something. This yeah. is another thing. Yeah, it could be like Captain Planet, but with food items. We got the Spice Girls. We got <laughs> Captain Planet. We got a drama. We're full of ideas that will never come to fruition, but they should. Oh, should they? Sure, yeah, yeah. I'll say that they should. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Around the end of the 18th century, a super conservative Catholic priest wrote about Hungarians, the spice of their food is some sort of red beast called paprika. It certainly bites like the devil. See, I know he meant that as a negative thing, but I'm like— this I know. is great. I'm like, I'm in. Put that on your logo, Paprika. Yeah. That's your slogan. Yeah, I think it certainly bites like the devil should be a t-shirt, and we have that power. We do. We do. Tpublic.com slash saver. <laughs> Check us out. Hungary had cultivated several types of chilies and found the way to process the spice paprika. At first, they sprinkled it on lard, bacon, bread, and cheese, and then added it into meats like salami and sausage, and then into sour cream sauces, soups, and goulash. And eventually, the nobility picked it up, too. Its first appearance in a cookbook was in 1817's Theoretical and Practical Compendium of the Kitchen by one F.Z. Zenker, who was the chef of a prince, and uh, the recipe that paprika featured in was chicken fricassee in Indian style. In the 1820s, paprika popped up in recipes for fisherman's soup and chicken paprikash. Supposedly, this dish, paprikash, was a uh, favorite of the Empress Elizabeth. Hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't know that I've ever had paprikash. But I like, it's hard to say. Paprikash. A lot of fun words in this episode. Mm-hmm. Goulash red with paprika started appearing in Hungarian cookbooks and restaurants in the 1830s. With the popularity came a problem of supply in the country— the peppers flourished in summers in southern Hungary where girls would use these six-inch needles to thread them onto strings and hang them out to dry until they could hear the seeds rattle inside and then process them into powder. Oh, I also wanted to mention here that two other New World foods were catching on in Hungary at this time, turkey and tomatoes. The two teas. Mm-hmm. 
French chef Auguste Escoffier sometimes gets credit for bringing more awareness in Europe around using paprika in cooking after he served Hungarian-style goulash in Monte Carlo in 1879 and went on to include the recipe in Le Guide Culinaire in 1904. Over the years, processing paprika involved at one point a heavy beam on a fulcrum, foot treading, and grindstones that heated the paprika. Yeah, uh, human power for those grindstones was eventually replaced by wind and water mills and then by steam engines by the late 1800s. Steam engines. Mm -hmm. The paprika from Central Europe was pretty hot until the 1920s. Hot as in, like, spice. Spicy, yeah. Yeah, I mean, Mm -hmm. it was also hot, like, cool. (laughs) Here's spice. Um, And that's when sweet pepper plants, grown to be eaten fresh, were cross-pollinated with or grafted on to these spicier plants, resulting in sweet paprika in the region. Before that, they were so hot the pith had to be picked off, usually by women. But problem. Oh, no. Women couldn't touch their children after. Oh, because of the... The uh, the residue, like the spice. Um, Especially babies, um, because they would burn the skin. Which meant that the job was usually given to unmarried women or older children. Oh. Two Smiths came up with a machine that removed the seeds and ribs but kept the color. So that kind of took out that spice. Yeah, yeah. Um, and this was in the 1850s, and their machine was used for about a century. It made large-scale production uh, for wide distribution and export possible for the first time for paprika. And this sweeter version of paprika is sometimes used to make cake. Huh. Yeah, I found a couple recipes for paprika cake. Oh, I really wish I could try that. Oh, okay. Anyway, I could try a small bite. Okay. Uh, yes, this um, this sweeter version became so popular for export that it wound up edging out hot varieties, even in the home market for a large part. The, uh, the sweet plants resulted in the noble sweet variety that's so widespread today. Mm-hmm. At some point, also, production... I think specifically in Hungary, became tied to Catholic holidays. Like traditionally, seeds are set in water to germinate on St. Gregory's Day on March 12th, and the harvest begins on the Nativity of Mary on September 8th. And I'm I'm thinking like maybe this started in the Spanish monasteries, but I couldn't find a direct link there. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Catholics in Hungary and Spain write in and let me know what you know about paprika production. (laughs) Specifically, we need the Venn diagram (laughs) of paprika expert, Hungary, Catholic, Spain. Like, (laughs) we know you're out there. We do. We do. In 1937, that Hungarian biochemist Albertsen Jörgi won that Nobel Prize for his work with paprika peppers and uh, and for some cellular research. As as Annie said earlier, he was the first person to isolate vitamin C, and and he also discovered a few steps in the process by which our, our cells produce ATP, our, our basic cellular energy source. Fascinating dude. During World War One, he was a medic in the trenches for two years and finally wound up shooting himself in the arm and blaming enemy fire so that he could get out of the military and go complete medical school. And he won a Nobel Peace Prize. And then eventually won a Nobel Prize. Love it. Interesting life indeed. Mm -hmm. Hungarian paprika production was nationalized after World War II. Civilians had to hand over their peppers to mills that were owned by the state. People got arrested for illegally selling paprika. Thousands of tons were exported for foreign currency. 
Yeah, there there was a revolution after World War II that was messy. Um, and Hungarian dishes did creep into American cuisine with multiple waves of immigrants who were fleeing various, that, that and other political upheaval uh, starting in 1849 and, yeah, running through that revolution in the 1950s. So there you go. Yeah. The story of paprika. Paprika. Oh, I'm hungry for, I don't even remember what goulash tastes like, but I'm craving it now. Wow. That's a fun, that's like a mystery craving. Right? Just remember, like, liking it? Yeah. Okay. It's like this, like, savory thing. That's all I got. My my, my brain is like, yeah, it tasted like soup. (laughs) I think I've only had goulash once, and it was a long time ago, but I remember liking it. (sighs) Well, everyone else eat extra for me. Yes. Do kind of like a shot of goulash. (laughs) Roland. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> pour, pour one out for your homie. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that about brings us to the end of this episode, but we have a little bit more for you. But first, we have a quick break for word from our sponsor. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins, and this season... We are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for the eligible bachelor? Meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And, of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
I'm Stephanie J. Block. And I'm Mary Lee Fairbanks. And we host Stages Podcast. Binge close to 100 episodes. Hear the inside stories from backstage and behind the scenes as we go beyond the resume and into the heart of creativity and what it really takes to be in the business of show business. Don't miss our chats with this season's Tony nominees. If you love theater and entertainment, you are going to love Stages Podcast. Subscribe to Stages Podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts and visit us at stagespodcast.net. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex and then he's very vulnerable so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Yes, thank you. And we're back with Listener, Listener Mail. Mail. I feel like Eureka and Paprika have a similar, like, yeah. I've been I've, I've had the word poppycock in my head the whole oh, time. Poppycock. That would have been a good direction for this listener mail as yeah. well. I think they're vaguely similar in I think, gesticulation. Yeah, that we're both pointing to the sky <laughs> with vigor. <laughs> yes. Dan wrote your episode on okra reminded me of my first as well as later experiences with it. Having grown up in Pennsylvania, I had never heard of it before going to college in Texas. My roommate, a Texas native, took me to my first cafeteria, which was a great place to eat on a college student budget. <laughs> as we made our way down the tray line, I asked him, what's fried okra? <laughs> After he was done laughing and getting over his disbelief I didn't know what it was, he insisted I liked it, and he was right. The majority of my adult life has been in the U.S. South, so I would later discover canned tomato okra and corn, a great side dish, and of course, okra and gumbos and the like. Much later, when I married my wife, who was from Japan, I learned how to eat okra Japanese style, lightly blanched, topped with dried mackerel flakes and soy sauce. Ooh. Slimy but tasty and so different from what I'd grown used to down south. Oh, wonderful. Oh, okra. Oh. <laughs> I love you. I, that's kind of surprising that you, um, being in Pennsylvania, um, hadn't heard of it, but... I, I again, I, I there are a lot of things I hadn't realized as so localized to the South. Until yeah, I yeah. Started doing this show. No, absolutely. I'm positive that I didn't know what okra was until, like, yeah, yeah, same kind of yeah. thing. <laughs> Tom B wrote. Your episode on alligators brought to mind my trip to Australia many years ago. I didn't have gator, but a dinner I went to at Ayers Rock Resort served a variety of native meats, including crocodile. I was wondering how the two meats would compare. Then you gave a description of gator that is exactly the way I describe croc. It does make sense they would taste like chicken since reptiles are closely related to dinosaurs. If you were wondering, kangaroo tastes a lot like venison, including a gamey flavor. Emu sausage was basically a bland sausage. 
those are some of my favorite reviews. I've said it before. <laughs> say it again. But I love the kind that are like, meh. <laughs> it was a food that I ate. <laughs> <laughs> I love them. <laughs> I, I I had I had a similar like kangaroo emu experience. Yeah. Like they didn't really stand out. But one of them I will say I was at a barbecue that I was kind of in charge of and I think I just didn't know what I was doing. Oh, that'll do it. I yeah. didn't know how I was cook it. Yeah. Well, there's always next time. There is always next time. Mm-hmm. Thanks to both of them for writing in. Yeah. If you would like to write to us, you can. Our email is hello at saverpod.com. We're also on social media. What? You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at SaverPod. We do hope to hear from you. Thank you, as always, to our super producers, Dylan Fagan and Andrew Howard. Saver is a production of iHeartRadio and Stuff Media. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Thank you for listening, and we hope that lots more good things are coming your way. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Life in our modern age comes at you pretty fast, which makes our time away especially valuable. When I take time to relax, I like to get far from my everyday life, immerse myself in natural beauty, and have unique experiences. But you don't have to leave the U.S. to experience tropical rainforests and islands filled with adventure, warm culture, and national treasures. Visit Puerto Rico, an island with a vibrant spirit that will sweep you away. Because when you visit, you don't become part of the island, it becomes part of you. In Puerto Rico, you can forget where you came from and embrace where you are. Puerto Rico, where visits end, but stories last forever. No passport required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.